Clinker Factor, the cement industry podcast. Welcome to The Clinker Factor, a podcast from WCA, which looks at the cement industry's response to climate change around the world and other topics of interest. I'm Ian Riley, CEO of WCA, and your host on The Clinker Factor. Today, I'm talking to Thomas Atkinson, Head of International Affairs at Hoffman Green Cement. So Thomas, welcome. Uh, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you ended up in the cement industry working for Hoffman? Hi, Ian. Yes, hello. Thank you for welcoming me in your, in your podcast on The Clinker Factor. I stepped in the uh, cement industry only two years ago, uh, joining Hoffman Green Cement as a head of international affairs. Basically, I knew uh, the CEO, Julien Blanchard, from the company since uh, 2013, when I used to work with him for his other company in producing uh, terracotta tiles from an old brick factory and uh, clay decorative products. So clay plasters and clay limes and plasters, external, internal plasters made of clay. So so basically, I'm within Hoffman Green since 20. 2013 and 2014 when the war story began with the meeting of David Hoffman and Julien Blanchard, but I've been acting fully on, on Hoffman Green Cement for, for the past two years. Okay, and, and tell us more about the company. So uh, how did Hoffman get started and, and what's the company's aim or, or vision? Hoffman started in 2014-2015 when uh, David Hoffman, a chemist, a well-known chemist, met Julien Blanchard, who was at the time owner of this uh, terracotta tile brick factory and clay, uh, clay plaster factory saying that he had some technologies that he worked on in, in his garage, basically, to, to activate clay. Uh, that was the, the name of it, basically, in 2015. And they, they cured uh, raw clay using a liquid activator at the time and went for lunch, came back, and they had a solid block of clay rock again. Uh, so basically, that was the, the beginning. And they jointly worked on a European program to get some funds to work on, the let's say, uh, improving the product and so on, and came to activate other types of raw materials and they, that became Hoffman Green Cement and the idea was to get rid of the clinker to create cement, clinker-free cement. That's the DNA of Hoffman Green Cement technology is to recreate binders, cement binders, rid of clinker. Okay, so the uh, the system is uh, is a geopolymer-based system and of course there are many companies that are looking at, at geopolymers using different materials and in different places. What What's special about the Hoffman technology? What is, what's your sort of unique properties? We, we have various technologies. The name is Hoffman Green Cement Technologies with an S. Okay, so we do not work on only one technology. Geopolymer is one of them. It's the first one we actually worked on. It's called HP2A, high pressure for alkaline activation, basically. It's a geopolymer uh, technology in a liquid form. Because the, the market is not ready to use liquid form products in, in all their, their processes, we had to work on a powdered system. So they started working on other types of raw materials, such as clay, slag, and created um, a powdered activator. But the other technology is alive today, which is HUKR based on slag, HIONA based on slag 2, and HEVA based on calcine clay. Today, we have two full certified technologies, the one based on slag, and we're going to have a certification for France for the clay-based technology. When do you expect that certification to come through? We expect to have a, what we call the, an ATEX-A, so it's a Avi Technique Expérimentale de KA for the HEVA by the end of the of the year, so by the end of 2024. And the uh, slag technologies are already approved in France? Yes, the slag technology, the HUKR, is already uh, certified by the CSTB, which is the, the French regulation body for concrete and construction materials in general. So we have four technical assessments for that one already, different uh, categorized in 
different applications. And we also have the H-Iona, which is a super sulfated cement following the EN1957, sorry, which is a, a slower cement, but still a clinker-free cement. Right. And so beyond France, um, what, what's the status of, of approvals in other countries or other geographies? So so the, the, the complicating thing when you get into, into certification is that all certification bodies, wherever, are following guidelines from major bodies. So you've got the US standards for all, mostly all America except Brazil and the Gulf countries. And you've got European norms, the EN, following by all the Europe and Brazil. <laughs> Funny enough, Brazil is following the European norms. But all these norms are written in a way of composition. So they say to be a cement, it requires clinker. So we'll never be normed unless these norms are changing, but we can get certified for the concrete. And that's the way we work. We certify concrete products, but not the cement because it cannot be normed today. So today, we, we but still things are moving. So we should get a, a European Technical Assessment ETA again during the year now. I understand you're also looking at getting approvals in, in the US. To totally, yeah. Because we, we started our first licensing project with Saudi Arabia last summer, uh, and they're following the US standards for construction. Then we aim to go for an ASTM approval. Uh, and so we, we stepped into that early September last year and to get some testing done by third party laboratories and so on. So it's in the process as we speak. And there's another route to follow, which is the uh, ACI approval, American Concrete Institute, to uh, give certification and verification on our carbon footprints for the cement, which is 188 kilos per ton for the HUKR product. And we just had this week verification of this figure. And is that using a life cycle assessment methodology or what was the, that is? Yes, exactly. They basically, they basically verified all the calculation that was made on our FDES, which is the life cycle forms and the French EPD, so to call. So they used these documents validated by third parties in France, official third parties in France, verifying these calculations to give us a US approval. Right. Now, these standards um, we're talking about are really relevant to ready-mix concrete. In the precast concrete, of course, they're generally not limited in terms of how they reach the product standards. They don't have the recipe requirements that they have in, in ready-mix. So I guess this was an area that you were able to step into a little bit more easily than, than the ready-mix. Is that yes, right? Yes, it was, it was easier to go through through the first steps in, in the precast industry because as you said they're not limited in the composition of their product and they just validate the performance of the end product so it was easier for us so we already signed partnerships in France for the past two or three years with big majors which are Soriba, LG Beton, Alcan just to name those uh, in France to provide them with our cement to do a, 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 a low carbon range basically of products but also smaller parts of uh, curves and, and products like that we're starting now this year as well with the UK with our partnership uh, with other big names such as Sipstock, Marshalls, Sigma Rock. So big names in the, in, in the precast industry in the UK also. So that the idea is to expand this in all the different countries. But obviously, um, well, we're, we're, there's always a bit of time before we can convince people to, to do the first trials. And the, the key elements there is that today, decarbonizing the construction industry is based on willing to do it. There's no compulsory law or incentive to do so, except from France with the uh, Environmental Regulation 2030 which is a, a law to reduce the embodied carbon footprint of a building. It's 200 kilos less per square meter every year until 20, 2030. Today, with Hoffman Green Cement Technology, you already reached these 2030 goals, which is not the case for all the other products. But for the other countries, you have to look for companies who've got their own sustainability roadmap, basically, and say, well, with our product, you can do already step two, one, two, three, or four straight away by just swapping for one type of cement or a type 1.5 
one type two cement two hours. Yeah, so I think we start to see these uh, requirements coming in. In London last year, there was a requirement or planning requirements that were published after consultation period that set standards for the carbon footprint of the building per square meter. So th these are uh, embodied, so not including the building usage, but including the materials and end of life. Again, you know, it's the same sort of thing. They, they set the standards at the bottom of the current range, which, you know, typically is, I don't know, 1,000 to 1,600 kilograms per square meter. And then they, they aim to reduce by a further 40% by 2030. So I think we start to see in different, you know, a few different places, the beginnings of, of this kind of expectation that building projects have to reduce their carbon footprint. It was already in the line many years ago with the BREEAM certificate, with the LEED certificate and so on, or the uh, Haute Qualité Environnement HQE certificate that was even before that in France. But um, the, the main problem remains the same. That's, that's, the, that's the issue. I mean, uh, they say we want low carbon, low embodied carbon footprint buildings, but they do not change the norms, you know, <laughs> and that's, that's the key element. The good thing, if there is one about Brexit <laughs> uh, today, is that the BS standard can actually move a bit quicker than the others today. And I just saw this week that they authorized now in the BS, uh, the BS 500 um, an extra use of limestone in the in the recipes. So I say, well, that's that's the first step. Uh, so uh, hopefully we could go for, for clinker-free product by the end of the year. There's already um, a, a PAS 8820 in the UK that was converted into a, a BF can't remember the number exactly, which basically allows new products with outstart recipe to answer to tenders, even though they're not yet under insurance or certified. But at least it's a one foot in, in the door, and we're aiming to push that a bit further. So uh, in terms of um, developing the business and, and volumes, I mean, where, where are you in how many plants do you have now and how, how much volume are you producing? So today we have two plants based in Vendée. The first one is the pilot plant that was uh, ended in 2018, producing 50,000 tons of cement per year in two shifts. And next to it, we have our, our tower, the one where well, Nobody sees it, but it's behind me on the picture. Uh, but uh, producing 250,000 tons of cement in two shifts. Planning is to have a third capacity, a second tower of 250,000 tons in the north of France in Dunkerque by 2026. And that's about it for France, plus a grinding facility a bit further south from where we are. But the development abroad is not to send cement abroad all the time. The key element is to send cement to do trials, to make the market aware of the product, to use it. But we're doing uh, working on a licensing model. So we basically have a licensing model selling the technology, basically, for foreign markets on a free scale income for us, which is entry fee, basically to open our, our technology book. Okay, then selling a premix sent from France, but as a very little amount, just to uh, guarantee security of the material and performance of the material. And then based on royalties. So the more you sell cement abroad, the more we get money out of it. And for them to actually have their own production facilities, whether it's a tower, which is the the best thing for us or a multi-silo system and then using as much local raw material as possible whether it's the slag the clay gypsum all the others that you might need to do a product so uh, you you're sold out at this first plant or are you you still ramping up the sales we're not sold out uh, we've got uh, today 250,000 tons in our order backlog but this is for the next two three four years to be delivered so to say so it's a reservation of cement from different customers that we have because we tend to have direct contracts with the end clients, uh, whether it's the home builders, general contractors, uh, precast manufacturers. So we have commitments from them to buy our cement in the next following years. Yeah, no, I think that's a very interesting approach. I, I saw in the news that you'd recently signed partnerships with Via Villa and Maison 
about, and and uh, I think that that's only the latest in your in your set of partnerships. Uh, so can you? This is a bit unusual for a cement producer. So perhaps you could explain the the sort of logic of why you went about things that way. Yeah, Trecobat is uh, one of the latest one we we signed. They're the fourth biggest home builder in in France, and we basically develop a, a partnership with them to build low carbon houses to reach the, the even further steps of the environmental rules for France. So this was the latest one. Via Villa is a uh, is for luxury homes that they're going to build uh, uh, in the French islands there on the coast, which is just down the road from the factory, really, uh, which is only also very recent. But it's a it's a key way for us to promote our cement because, as I said. Because we're not on the norm, it's difficult to get into a, a silo in a ready-mix facility straight away, even though we have partnerships with Simex ready-mix facilities, with uh, KP1, with Point P, Groupe Saint-Gobain, uh, just to name those, but we have many, many ready-mix facilities in partnerships. But the quickest way and the easiest way for the, to use the product is to go di- directly to the end user. So you named Tricobat and Via Villa, but one of the first that followed us was Brie Construction, which is one of the biggest in the world, not only in France, uh, and as well with their home development uh, company which is Brigitte Immobilier but as well with uh, uh, social housing uh, companies uh, such as um, the name's missing now well, but they basically build uh, social housing and they commit to use so much percentage of cement from Hoffman for the development but also with Fondéol which are uh, a company building uh, wind farms where we're going to supply up to 50% of their needs in cement for windmill foundations and, and this is key elements of uh, partnerships and customer relationships to get the product on site so I, I- I think this is a very, very uh, key issue that all of the cement industry should pay attention to, because in the past, the clients have not really been interested in talking to the building materials companies, uh, cement or concrete, because we only represent a very small part of their budgets. You know, maybe it's a couple of percent in, in Europe. But when you look at it from a CO2 standpoint, then concrete is typically 35% of the CO2 of a building, you know, with steel being you know nearly the same and, and the rest being the other third being split between everything else. So suddenly we've become much, much more important to the clients than, than we were when they were only thinking about cost. And I think you, your example is, is very is much illustrating this greater interest that the clients have of getting involved in the selection of building materials. And I think that is really different for the cement industry. They own sustainable roadmap to follow because they want to, that's, that's fine. But to reach that, there's not many, many ways to do it. So in, in the first place, the only thing they could think of was to build with uh, timber frame houses, for instance, or, or changing the materials. But for big groups like Brick, for instance, changing the way they're building the houses represents huge cost of investment in tools, in training, in all the rest of it. Whether they're, they're just changing one powder to another, using the same molds, using the same tools, using the same training facilities, using the same know-how on site already. So that's why it was key to them to say, that's a good thing because we keep pouring concrete the way we usually do. Yeah, no, I, I think this is, is very important in terms of uh, gaining acceptance from the clients. But I, I think your your partnerships illustrate also the way in which the mindset of the clients are changing. And I think this is something that, uh, you know, we in the cement industry generally, you know, really need to pay attention to because it will cause the clients to get more involved in material selection in the future. Well, there's, there's been more and more, you know, events like, like we did and like you did at WCA on, on how the supply chain will be changing in the following years and, and this is part of it yeah absolutely now I, I remember when we we talked earlier thomas last year um uh, you mentioned about the calcine clay product i'd like to ask you a bit more about that so obviously slag is uh, you know pretty good cementitious material and and uh, it's used extensively in, in uh, your product 
Brits and others, uh, but it's limited in its supply. And, and, you know, most of it, at least in Europe, is is already used by somebody. So uh, it has a sort of limitation in terms of quantity, whereas obviously calcine clay, you're actually, you know, mining a material to use. So it doesn't have the same limitations as a co-product has. Uh, so tell us a bit about, about the uh, new calcine clay products that you're developing and w- what the status is on those. We still use wastes of clay. We do not dig clay to, to manufacture our product. It's key element for us to work only on circular economy and on waste. So we're using sludges of clay or different types of clay, but waste, still waste. Okay, that's a key point. Yeah. Yeah, and then we can't obviously we will calcine it for now. We're hoping to avoid the calcination at some point, but for now we still calcine it and activate it again with an Hoffman activator. Today uh, we, we're not as advanced as we are with the slag-based technology. Still, we can do walls. We did walls already. We did some application using our clay products. But there's one technology that we ended. It's called H Ever Sol. So H Ever is our calcine clay range, and Ever Sol Sol means ground, basically in, in French. And it's a product that we use in soil stabilization. Or, or to cover fiber optics uh, networks, you know, uh, new networks. Th- this is something you already use a lot in France and in the UK as well for uh, soil stabilization. Okay. And so this one is already commercialized? Yes. So when, when you talk about not using calcining for activation of the clay or producing the metacaolin, are you thinking about mechanical activation of the clay or, or is it just the chemical activation with the, with the activator that you have? Well, it's it's both basically. There's there's obviously the, the, the mechanical side of it. There's there's no secret that the products are available to do so at the moment. So we we're testing that, but it's also improving our activators as well. It's always on on, on both. I mean, key element to to Hoffman is to work on all types of different raw materials. So at the beginning, for instance, we didn't work on fly ash because there was no fly ash available in France. So there was no purpose or no good sense in 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 uh, in working on such technologies. Now we see more and more different types of fly ashes, dry and wet, that we may be able to use. So we're working again on an activator for those. Uh, we're also working on, on um, biomass ashes because there's more and more biomass being used for burning. So we're trying to work on, on an activator for those. So the idea is not to stop on clay and slag as a raw material, but try to work on any type of byproducts that could be available today and, and that we could try to reactivate because this, the real know-how of Hoffman are the activators. This is the real know-how. Okay. You know, there are raw materials people are looking at to use in, in geopolymers, which you might consider. So red muds and uh, various different types of mine tailings. Are these also things that you, you might be able to, to activate using your technology? Yes. I mean, uh, again, the key element is that it, it must be a waste of something. We, should, we, we don't want to dig anything to make our, our materials. But yeah, eventually, I mean, we're, going, we, we're looking at the entire world. So all the raw materials available there are, are, are endless possibilities. So we have a full research lab in the factory that keeps activating and working activators on all types of different uh, wastes of products or byproducts. And so it's a, we have a very, very high quality control lab for the products, obviously, because we're very, very well observed. Our HUKR concrete has been the most tested concrete for the past 200 years, basically. No concrete has been more tested than ours uh, because it's new, which is fair enough. But we're also working on all types of different raw materials that we could activate. And that's back at our HU with the, uh, David Offen. Steam. Can I just ask you on the commercial side? I, I, I remember you, you mentioned earlier that 
you were looking at licensing outside France. You'd signed a partnership agreement in Saudi already. Uh, yeah. where, do, where do you see that going? What are the key target areas, target countries uh, for you in that? Obviously, Saudi Arabia was the first licensing contract, but we already had some distribution partnership and joint ventures in Switzerland, in Belgium, in the UK. So all close countries of, to, to France. Uh, we just signed beginning of December MOU with um, an American company. So this is uh, obviously a, a market we looking at intensively and are working at the moment. Uh, so again, the STM is totally on it. And then we have requests from all over the world. I mean, China is knocking at the door. Brazil is knocking at the door. Uh, obviously, other people, countries from the Gulf countries are knocking on the door. So it's not a matter of opportunities. It's uh, it's a matter of choosing the right partner to go at the right pace and to avoid being drowned into too many different types of technology. We want people to use the technology because it is yet usable. Is there a, a particular type of application that you think you can gain a more rapid acceptance in? I mean, we mentioned earlier, we talked about the precast, but are there other applications that, that you feel will be easier to gain acceptance in? Well, precast, obviously, but then there's also the um, everything into ready mix, really, we can do. I mean, today we cover 85% of all usage of cement. This is the real thing. And we can do full buildings using our, our, our cement. And I don't think there's any restrictions in where we can go today. Maybe the very, very high rise building or very, very large bridges and stuff that we wouldn't go for now for insurance sake. I, I was really coming at it from the standpoint, exactly as you say, uh, of, of the risk. I, I'm, I'm sure technically there's not really a question mark, but in terms of acceptance, it must be easier to get acceptance to use a new material in, in something where if there is a problem, it's not a disaster. Basically, basically everything non-structural is the easy route. Everything non-structural. So uh, curtain wall, ground foundations, stuff like that is, is the easy route. However, now with the background we have, with the insurance we already have personally on, on our product, the extension of all the different certification that we get is going to be easier every day. But again, as we work closely with clients, they often have their own structural engineers within the company, and therefore they take also a liability on the product. So again, the, the client direct route is a nice route to go. Absolutely. And then finally, um, uh, Thomas, if, if you look forward three or four years, I mean, where, where do you see Hoffman getting to? In three or four years? Well, uh, uh, hopefully within three or four years, years, we'll have several, let's say at least four to five plants abroad producing the, the, the material. We'll have our third plant for France also. We really hope that more than one technology uh, will get uh, other type of certification. We're going to have some uh, European technical assessment as well as US one by then, which will hopefully will cut all the, all the rest of the bridges. I think th three, four, five years is too short to get all the norms amended. <laughs> I think it's too much work there uh, in, in Europe, even though we, we're part of ALCCC, which is the Alliance for Low Carbon Cement and Concrete, as well as other startups are, to, to either amend the existing norm or creating new norms. This is a, a high political work in, in, in the European Commission. So uh, our colleague Stephanie, head of certification, is working hard on that topic as well. Yeah, no, that I think very interesting. Uh, and thank you, Thomas, for uh, interesting discussion today. I think that um, Hoffman, not not only has interesting technical developments, but, but also illustrates how the clients are changing in their requirements and their willingness to get involved in uh, things they haven't got involved in in the past, and particularly the selection of materials. And that's a lesson that really has a wide application to all cement producers. I think for, you know, our traditional approach has been, you know, we produce these standard products and generally the clients have not been terribly interested in getting involved in that. But I think with the, uh, the pressures on circularity and car 
carbon that, that's really changing. And I think it's a very interesting uh, example of that. All the work we did into certification today gives us already five years advance to any other product today because they will have to follow the same route to, for their product. And, and in terms of research and development, we've got around 10 years ahead because obviously we work in other types of products. But when we say we're disruptive, uh, you, you're right to say it's not only in the technologies themselves, we're also disruptive in the way we enter the market. It's a need to be. We have to be different the way we sell it because well, the, the market is, is still yet blocked, so to say, uh, uh, by, by traditional cement, which is has been proven a good product for the past 200 years. So it's, it's, it's not that easy to change the habits. Yes, so thank you. Uh, and on that note, Thomas, uh, thank you very much for joining me today for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. A pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Clinker Factor podcast today. If you've enjoyed it, do subscribe and please recommend us to friends and colleagues and anyone else who you think would be interested in what's happening in the cement and concrete industry around the world. WCA is a not-for-profit company. Please visit our website to see the services that we offer. <music>